here. I love to watch those children when they come. I was thinking as I was watching them that I have never seen an adult run toward a collection plate in my life. But those kids love it, and it's great, and I'm glad you're here, and I hope you'll fill out one of these cards that you saw either online or just uh, leave it at the welcome desk or even on your pew, and we will, would love to have that information if you could share with us that you were here today. As I've already said, happy Father's Day. Glad you're here, dads and families. And also, it's a day to celebrate Juneteenth and a day to remember those who were freed from slavery also. And today we're talking about a real father. Now, you know that phrase, and it's funny to me how it's used different ways. Sometimes a person is, has been adopted, and they're referring to their biological father. And they'll say, well, my real dad, my real father, but this dad. And other times, it's just the opposite that maybe they've been abandoned by a biological father or have, an, have a, an adopted father, and they'll say, well, this adopted father is my real dad. And so it's used both ways. And so today we're thinking about that idea, maybe from a place that seems odd to you, but it's from the Old Testament, from the book of Esther. Now, if you haven't read the book of Esther, you can read it during my sermon if you want to. I don't know if you'd completely finish, but you can get started if you want to. Or you can read it this afternoon as we go through that book today. You might be thinking, if you know the story, and I know many of you do, that Esther is really a story about a woman that becomes queen. So you might be thinking, what does this have to do with the father? Well, it all has to do with who influenced her. And so you look in Esther chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible says that Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. And this young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter, when her father and mother had died. Now what's happening here is Mordecai had adopted his cousin. And so he didn't go through the paperwork. I'm sure there wasn't paperwork to go through or years of waiting like some of you have done. And my family hasn't had a lot of personal experience with adoption, but the church that we were with before we moved here years ago was full of adopted kids. There were lots of kids. And so let me just kind of say an aside for a moment that Adoption is a wonderful, beautiful thing. It's hard to believe, but there are 16 million orphans in the world. And because of war and famine and things that go on, and, and sometimes it seems like there may end up with more, but there are 16 million. In the United States, there are about 135,000 adoptions a year. Now, many of those children that are adopted, it's not because their parents have died, but because there was some kind of issue that they couldn't keep the child, or it was best they not keep the child, or whatever it was. But 135,000, about one out of every 50 kids in the United States is an adopted child. Mordecai does something beautiful here. Obviously, she had been through trauma. Obviously, it's awful that she has lost her parents. And he steps in, he takes that role and says, I am going to raise you as my own. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to do all those things that you need. So you may remember the story. Let me kind of, kind of narrate the story of, of Esther to us a little bit here, the account of Esther. So what happened was the king, Xerxes, had gotten rid of his queen. He didn't like Vashti, or for reasons we'll talk about in a little bit. And so he gets rid of her. 
And so they have this nationwide search. Throughout the kingdom, they're going to find somebody that can be his queen. Now, obviously, something that is important to him are looks. And so he wants looks, and he, they're going to go through beauty treatments and all kinds of things to make sure that he has the most beautiful woman, or at least the one he thinks is most beautiful. And so they have this nationwide search, kingdom-wide. And they bring these women in, and they'll decide after a year or two who is the most beautiful and who is the one most apt to be the queen that can replace this woman who had been Vashti and now can be the king, the queen for Xerxes. And one of those chosen is this girl, Esther. Hadassah, but Esther as we know her. She's chosen as one, and that's really a strange thing because she's Jewish. Apparently they didn't know she was Jewish. The people of God, known as the Israelites... The people of God were held captive in Persia. That's not where they wanted to be. They wanted to be home. But they're held captive. And you know this from history, and this is all documented. And they're taken off to Persia, modern-day Iran, or in that area. It's where they're taken. And now they're away from home, and things obviously would have been very difficult for them. But Esther then was taken to the king's palace, Esther chapter 2. Matter of fact, this are the, these are ruins. You see a picture of from one of Xerxes' castles or, or palaces. And, and hard to see today because they're in Iran, and for those of us who are U.S. citizens, it's not the easiest to go sightseeing there. But they're there. So she's taken to the king's palace. Now imagine if your daughter was taken to the king's palace, what that would be like. You, would, you know, you'd be amazed, you know, and, and, and excited and scared. And then if you think about your people are a conquered people and she's been taken into the palace and you can't go with her, that's wonderful and great, but there's also a lot of fear that would go on in that. And so she's taken and Mordecai is left on the outside. So what made Mordecai such a real father? What is it that did that why would he be chosen for this sermon and probably other preachers have chosen him this week or other weeks before I don't know I'm sure they have but what made him a real father to Esther well one thing he did was he gave sound advice to his daughter to his cousin and Esther chapter 2 you see this in verse 10 whenever they're going through this process it said Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so now theoretically she can go and do what she wants to but he's giving her great advice look you are not going to become the next queen if you tell them you're a Jew matter of fact you'll be kicked out because you're Jewish you are part of the conquered people not part of the conquering people the other thing I have to think that, he, that Mordecai's thinking, what can she do for our people in such a position? Surely at that point he's thinking something like this, but he's also thinking about saving her life because of the way this king is, he might kill her if he found out she was Jewish and she was there. So he gives her really good advice. This is something that makes someone a really good father or mother or brother or sister or whatever you may be, whatever your relationship is, boss or employee even. When you can give sound advice, something that makes sense, something that's good, it's not going to get them into more trouble or be more of an issue or against God, but you do what's right. Another thing that he does that's so important is Mordecai stayed involved in her life. It wasn't like, well, now you've, you've made the big time, so I'm just, you know, I don't care about you anymore. It's not, well, you've moved into the palace and here I am out here. It's not any of that. 
He stays involved in her life. Now, you don't want a helicopter parent, right? But at the same time, you want someone that cares about their kids, knows what their kids are doing, that have some type of relationship. And I also realize that there are probably some in our audience that did not have that kind of relationship, maybe because your parents passed away, or maybe you didn't know a father, or maybe it was a really bad relationship. But if you're going to be a good father, a good mother... If you are going to be a good influence on someone else, you've got to be involved in their lives in one way or another. And in Esther chapter 2, verse 11, this is what the Bible says, that every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. I want you to see that first of all. Xerxes has a harem. Esther's in there with these other women. It's not like, oh, you're my only love. I only care about you. He would, if she becomes queen and that puts her at the top, but at the same time, <clears throat> this is not what you would call what God normally would want, right? And so Mordecai is worried about her. And it's not like he can just take out his phone and text her, hey, how's it going in there, Esther? He can't, you know, he can't call her, he can't, he can't email her. He's got to stay on the outside. And so he gets himself close to the palace. He's there, he's waiting. It changes his life. It changes where he goes, what he does. And he walks around and tries to look in and see when the door opens or the tent, the tent opens, whatever it is, and, and see that she's okay. He stays involved in her life. Dads, moms, stay involved in your children's lives. Don't be the helicopter, but also don't walk away from them, even when they're adults or even when they're older. So you may know what already happened, but Esther becomes the queen but she is among unsavory people. Let's just put it that way. This Vashti or Vashti, the earlier, was the queen. In chapter 1, the king has a banquet that goes on for days. It is a drunken banquet that goes on for days. And finally, he calls for his queen Vashti to come out wearing her crown. Some commentators say that in front of all these people, he was wanting her to wear only her crown. And she said, no, I'm not that kind of woman. And she didn't do it. Well, she was deposed, sent away. It doesn't say she was killed, but if you go along with the other things he did, it wouldn't be surprised if he killed her. But we know for sure she is no longer the queen. And there was a man there by the name of Haman. And Haman is going to play a strong role in all of this later on. But Haman is a bad guy. Haman is willing to kill people. Haman, Haman has no problem with taking other people out. And there, Esther will be among these people. Some of you may have found yourself among unsavory people. And Esther is going to live above that fray. And she is going to live as God wants her to, apparently, and what God wants her to do. Now, Mordecai, he displayed integrity. Integrity is an important thing. If we want to have a strong relationship with our kids, if we want to make a difference in this world, then we're going to have to be people of integrity. You look in Esther chapter 2 in verses 21 and 22. It says, During the time of, that Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and they conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and he told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. Now Esther did a wonderful thing too, saying Mordecai is the one who told me. But he is a man of integrity here. As the conquered people, it could have been that he would have said, hey, great idea, kill the king, let the king die. He doesn't do that. 
But instead, he goes and says, hey, Big Thana, or as I seem like whenever I think about this in my head, I always call him the Big Tuna. I don't know why. But Big Thana and Teresh, they have this plot. He does what, is a, what a man of integrity does. He tells the truth and he warns when there is a problem coming. And he tells Esther. And now Esther's not just king, but husband is saved because of what he does. Parents, be people of integrity. When you are a person of integrity, your children are much more likely to listen to you. Now, we know we all have problems. We all sin. We all struggle. But be people of your word. Be people who do what you're supposed to do. Say When you say something, do what you say you're going to do and honor God. Well, skipping several things that happen in, throughout this account, but you may remember after this, after this plot, this man Haman that we talked about earlier decides that he's the most important in all the kingdom under the king. And so he wants people to start bowing down to him everywhere he goes. And people will bow down to him, but he runs across Mordecai, and Mordecai's not going to bow down. Mordecai says, I don't do that. Now, maybe that's because Mordecai only bows to the king, or Mordecai only bows to God. Maybe that's what he's saying. But whatever it is, he won't do it. And Oh, it makes Haman angry. Haman is so furious with him. And so finally, Haman comes up with a plan. He goes back to the king, and he says to the king, we need to kill whoever won't bow down to me. And so the king, yeah, whatever, that's good. He likes killing people anyway. Yeah, sure. But Haman goes past that. Haman instead says, I don't want to just kill Mordecai. I'm going to kill all of his people, all the Jews. See what's going on here? This is a case of extreme prejudice. We might even call it racism here. He is going from one step all the way. Folks, when we say something like, they're all like that. I met a person of a specific country or race or state or whatever. They're all like that. We are looking more like Haman than we are like Jesus when we do that. So Haman, a matter of fact, because of, the, of his name and because of what he did, some Jews say, claim that Haman was a distant uh, ancestor of Hitler. I don't think you can really track all of that, but you do understand why they would think something like that. So Haman decides, I'm going to take out all the Israelites, all of them, because I don't like Haman. And so you remember that there was this terrible plot that goes along, and he's, he's going going to kill Mordecai. Mordecai hears about it. Mordecai knows what's going, to, what's going to happen. And then he goes and talks to Esther. And Mordecai inspired Esther to make a real difference. Her real father is going to inspire her to make a real difference that will be recorded in history. And actually, Mordecai will say what will be one of the most famous lines in all of the Bible and maybe of all time, and probably a lot of folks don't even know where it comes from, but in, but in uh, Esther chapter 4, about verse 13, Mordecai says to Esther, Don't think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your, <coughs> excuse me, families and your father's family will perish. And who knows? 
But to you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And you can imagine there's a lot of anxiety that would have been going on with her. She's like, I can't go in and say anything about this. I mean, what do I do? The king may not like what I have to say. And you may know or not know in those days, it's not like that, that Esther and, and Xerxes sit down and watch TV together. They don't hang out together. Instead, they have separate rooms where they live, basically. And so when she would want to go see the king, he would have to hold out his scepter to her in order to walk into the room. And if he doesn't hold out the scepter, then that means he's going to have her killed. I mean, it's a terrible place to live and a terrible time to live. But she holds out the scepter. He goes in, he talks to the king and says, we ought to have a banquet with Haman and has another banquet with Haman. And Haman is building, is building a place to kill Mordecai. And in the midst of all this, the queen tells the king and the king remembers Mordecai. And before you know it, Haman is the one that is killed. Instead of Mordecai, instead of the Jews. And God's people are victorious again because of what Mordecai the father did for Esther, who then told the king. You see, he was a true father that was inspiring his child to do good things. Now, obviously, we can't make our children do something, and we can't make other people, employees, or whoever it is that you have influence on do whatever you want them to do. But if you are a person that is known as a person of integrity, if you are a person that is involved in the lives of others, particularly today in your children's lives, if you are a person like that, then when it comes to the moment of inspiring them, you will have a much greater chance to inspire them then if you're uninvolved and you're known as a liar and you don't seem to have much integrity, they're not going to listen to you or to me or whoever that person is in their life. But Mordecai lived the life in order for this moment to come. You know, sometimes we think about the big moment and who will be in the big moment. Well, you know how you prepare for the big moment? You're getting prepared for the big moment on the regular days. It's on a regular Tuesday and a regular Wednesday and a regular Thursday when there's nothing exciting going on. It's in those moments that you are getting ready for the biggest test of your life or, the life or in the life of your children or your employees or whoever it is you're with. It's in those moments when you're quietly studying the Bible, when you're quietly praying, when you're quietly choosing to be a person of God and make moral judgments. In those quiet times... We are getting ready for those big moments. That's what Mordecai had done. And now here it was. She listens. God's people are saved. He's saved. And a terrible enemy of God's people was eliminated. Now here's the beautiful thing. You might say, you know, I don't really relate with that. I'm not adopted and I'm not Mordecai and I'm not a father and I came today. I'm not any of those things. This isn't really for me. Well, here is the beautiful part of all this and that's that God adopted us. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you are adopted by God. He chose us. I love I love the passage in Romans chapter 8. It's right after Romans 6. He talks about how beautiful baptism is and how this new person comes up. And then we get to Romans 8. And just the whole chapter is incredible. But here we are in verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> I want you to hear this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Oh, there's so much there. There's emancipation there. Do you see that? He says, you are free. The Holy Spirit says that, this, that what you have received does not make you a slave. It makes you free. And being free is great, but what's even greater than being free is becoming a child of God. Being His child. The one who created the world. That's incredible. The one who will finish the world. That is incredible that we become His child. I've shared this before, but this little word here, Abba, is so important. He says, you can call your father Abba. He said, okay, well, then what's that mean? Well, in ancient days, even, even up until current times, if a boy was to go, or if a salesman was to go to a house and a boy answers the door, and the salesman says in the Middle East, and he says, um, can I speak with your father? A little boy will turn around and say, Abba, someone's at the door and wants to talk to you. But if the salesman goes up to the, and they'll have a friendly, friendly conversation, but if the salesman goes up to the door and he says, hey, little boy, can I talk to your Abba? The father will come out and run him off the property because only the true child or the true children can say Abba. It is that term of endearment. And so now what he is saying to us as his children, as Christians, he's saying, you are not you are not just a slave. You are not just a person that is a relative or distantly connected to me. You are my child. You can say Abba. You are truly in the family. You have that right. Wow, that's beautiful. That makes me want to be with God. Because of what God does and what he says. And now the creator of the world, the one who creates it all and loves us. Wow. You know what the Bible says? It says, for God, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what he's saying there? In the beginning, our Father created the heavens and the earth. You know what it says when we get over in John 3, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. For our Father so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And then do you know what it says when we get over here? It's not just that, that he gave his son, our father gave that son. And now our father says that we can be adopted into the family. I've heard people before say things like, hey, these are, these are my biological, biological kids and this is my adopted son or daughter or whoever. Do you know what God says? These are my children. These are my children. So whether you are a father or mother, single, never had a kid, wherever you are, or have umpteen kids, there's no better place to be than to be a child of God. So this is my question for us this morning. How are my relationships? I realize sometimes relationships ebb and, ebb and flow, and sometimes we have issues in this or in that. But I, am I a person that with my friends and with my children and with others, with my Christian family, am I one that is known as one that's involved, one that is a person of integrity? Am I known as this type of person? How is my relationship with God? Am I putting God first? Am I putting my Abba first? 
The one who has rescued me, who has taken me out of slavery and didn't just free me, but took me into his house and said, you're mine. You're mine. So as we always ask at the end, if you are ready to come into the house, if you are not baptized into Jesus and you're ready to be in the house and and have your sins forgiven and receive this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit and be part of his family, we want you to do that even today, to be baptized today. But for probably the majority of us, we've been baptized into Christ, but oh, we may be living more like we're neighbors to God than children of our Abba. We might even be living like we're enemies of God. And he calls us home. Come on in. I'm not going to leave you on the porch. Come in. You can write to us at elders at mcoc.org if you want it to be private, or you can come forward. Come as we stand and sing.